everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. How are we doing? Can we give a hand to Trisha? We're so thankful. And I just want to give a shout out to all of our educators, whether you're teaching in the private school system, the public school system, whether you are a homeschool parent, we just, we just thank God uh, for people who would invest their lives uh, into the next generation. We believe in the next generation. That's why we put so much of a value in our City Kids ministry. And uh, I'm excited, um, you know, when we talk about being lights in the city, in a city of lights, one of the most amazing areas and spheres of influence that we can do so is in the education system. So let's give another hand for all of our teachers and administrators, bus drivers, anybody. Parents, come on, somebody. If you are a parent, you are a teacher, okay? You don't get to outsource your responsibility to educate your own. It's just a side nugget. Uh, this morning, um, you know, we continue in week two of our series called The Pursuit. And last week where we began is we started looking at Luke 15 where Jesus had been sitting and engaging with sinners and tax collectors. And for those of you who don't know, like back in this time, like tax collectors were a different category of sinner. Uh, you know, it was like the crooked IRS person, um, which if you're an IRS person, we just trust that you're not crooked and we bless you in the name of the Lord. Uh, but this is, these people were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to his, his heart, his compassion. Uh, they weren't drawn to some uh, watered-down condonement of corruption, but they were actually probably baffled at the fact that he was a rabbi, and yet he walked in so much kindness towards them because here around them, overhearing and kind of snickering and mocking were a group of Pharisees and scribes who were mocking the fact that these sinners were hanging around Jesus. And so what Jesus is, proceeds to communicate to them over the series of three parables is the value and the importance of reaching and pursuing those who were lost. Sometimes we have to be reminded that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not just pacify religious folk. And so last week we broke down the first parable, which is that of the lost sheep. This morning... We're going to talk about the second parable, which is the lost coin. And one of the things that we talked about, and I just wanted to take a moment is to acknowledge is as we were talking about the lost sheep, one of the things we discussed was the intentionality. You see this theme throughout each parable, that when what was lost was found, there was a party. There was a celebration. Maybe you're here for the very first time, and there's a lot going on, and the music was maybe a little bit louder than you're used to within a liturgical setting. But I want you to know that when you come here, you're coming into a party. Y'all hear me? That was such a weak response. Church, that's a lame party. You're coming into a party. Come on. 
It's a celebration. When we take communion, we're celebrating the fact that we were dead in our sin, that we were lost in our brokenness, that we were without hope but God, who is rich in mercy. He pursued us. And so we talked about the intentionality of the party and how it takes us owning it. And we had an opportunity for people to sign up and serve. And I just want to thank each and every one of you who filled out a service card to step up and to be a part of this family and to take ownership to serve with intentionality those that God draws to us. So just give yourself a hand. We had a great response. For those that signed up on August 17th here at the Y, beginning at 2 o'clock from 2 to 4, for most of you from 2 to 3 for the production team, we're going to have a training day. It's going to be to equip, empower you to be able to do, uh, to serve with intentionality and fervor. So we're excited for you to get trained up. But I just want to thank you all for serving. It's taking ownership of this call. It's recognizing what God values and saying we want to invest in that well with our time, talent, and treasure. And so this morning... We're going to continue with parable two that he speaks about, the lost coin. Would you turn with me to the gospel of Luke? We're going to begin in chapter 15, and I'm actually going to start with verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2 together, and then we're going to jump down to verse 8, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. So then he proceeds to talk about the lost sheep. We're going to jump down to verse 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Say with me, diligently. Say that again, diligently. Thank you. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you pursued us with great diligence, with great intensity, with great intentionality, sparing no expense to seek until we were found. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would help us, that you would fill us, that you would awaken us with your passion and your heart for people. And Lord, that you would remind us in a very personal and a real way of your passion and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. All right. I want to know, by a show of hands, how many of you are great at finding things? Real quick, real quick. Hands up in the air. You're great at finding things. Now, listen to what I'm talking about. I'm saying you are certified, verified. When something is lost, your family or friends, they will even call you because by calling you, the spirit of your finding prowess will jump upon them and they will find your keys. You say, I love, I'm great at finding things. Come on. Come on now. 
I mean, we, don't we love these people? I mean, I just think about like, what was it that, that led to you being this incredible finder of the things that was lost? Like, did you just watch a lot of Blue's Clues when you were growing up? And you were like, man, you figured out how to find and discover what was lost by the, the first paw that came up, the first clue. You know, what was it? Did you just play like Carmen Sandiego on the DOS computer, you know, on the floppy disk, you know, searching and seeking for where in the world Carmen was? You know, what, what was it, you know, that, that led you to be so refined and so excellent at finding things? Because by the notice of the show of hands, most of us in here are not you, Right? On average, most of us are going to lose things. We lose things all the time. We lose or misplace our keys, our wallet, our teeth, our kids. You know, I mean, if, if you've ever, like, misplaced a kid, like if you're going to an appointment or something, don't feel bad. Mary and Joseph did it to Jesus, <laughs> right? I always get so perplexed when I read about this passage, and I just think, what kind of deep conversation were Mary and Joseph in where they misplaced the Son of God? Like, were they just walking on an old familiar road and reminiscing and like, hey, girl, man, remember that time we were coming on the donkey? Yeah, Joseph. I love that new E5, baby. Thank you. My, oh, my God, where is he? Um, what was it? You know, but you, there's been time, I remember we were visiting a church one time, and, and if you've ever seen somebody with one kid, let alone multiple kids, especially if you could tell, I can always tell when someone is a parent of multiple children, because when you're having a conversation with them in a public place, about ever so often you'll see them do the head count. You might not hear it, but you'll see the eyes are like, Right, you'll see them do the head count. We were visiting a church when I was little one time, and we were driving off of this church and visiting. And look out, we had one of those station wagons where the back seat faced the back. And I remember looking out the back and seeing one of my brothers with like one shoe on running down the road, <laughs> running down the driveway. It's like we had a bunch of curly heads in the car. You just figured all of them were in there, right? But it's like we lose things. You know, it it, it happens. Um, you know, we we. Many times, you know, it's like I think of there's, there's some people that we are the, you're an average level person who tends to lose things. And then there are some, some of you who are at an elite level of losing things. Like if you're here this morning by a show of hands, how many of you would say you are a verifiable, excellent loser? Now see, don't raise see <laughs> Right? It's like you don't just lose your keys, you lose the car. Right? You walk out of Walmart, you walk out of a, you're like, oh. Have you ever tried to find a white minivan at a soccer game, like at a soccer tournament? You're like, you're like, what does it look like? It's a white minivan. Okay. Right? Or you don't even, you don't just lose your teeth, you, you lose somebody else's teeth. Now, we can laugh at that, but that actually happened to me a couple weeks ago. One of my kids, they lost their tooth while we were traveling on vacation. And I put it in a baggie, and I put it somewhere because, we, you know, we didn't want the tooth fairy to get confused because it was out of her jurisdiction. And so we were going to transport it, and at some point, I, I think housekeeping came, and uh, they probably thought, why is there a random tooth on the counter? <laughs> Let me throw that away. Um, they were, probably were not forensic scientists. Uh, and so, you know, we had to go home and reach into our drawer of other teeth and just, you know. It's a substitute, you know. They still got the money. You know what I'm saying? 
But, but the thing is, is like, we still, we lose. Isaiah, don't tell your siblings that. Don't tell them that. You know what I'm saying? You got to keep that one under wraps. <laughs> keep it under. Uh, but it's amazing how we lose things all the time. And sometimes, depending on, you know, really your value or your appraisal of the thing, of a thing will determine your pursuit of it. Right? Because it's depending on what you lose, sometimes you just kind of walk by. Like how many of you, like if you drop a penny out of your pocket, some of y'all are like real like diligent with that penny game. I'm like, oh, yes. But a lot of times you just you let a penny go. You know, if, if you've got, uh, you know, Legos. Man, sometimes I ask the Lord to help us lose Legos. Because <laughs> we got so many Legos and you step on them and then you just, your flesh rises up. I'm like, Lord, we release them to you. Especially when you knew that they were going to be lost and you told your kids, they're like, Dad, let's please take the Legos in the car. And you're like, they're going to be lost. No, they're not, I promise. And then they get lost. And you just kind of like, you know what? One less to clean up. Why? Because you don't value it as much. And yet, lose your phone. You know, lose something that is of worth and you will tear the whole place apart. I remember one specific time. We had barely been married a few months we were living in Tallahassee at the time, and Kelly was taking a trip up north to spend some time with family and friends. I was at staff meeting, and while I'm sitting at staff meeting, one of my coworkers nudges me, and he goes, hey, John, what's up? I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? Praise the Lord. Uh, he goes, so uh, you don't wear your wedding ring when Kelly goes out of town? And I was like, no, what'd you talk? <gasps> my wedding ring was gone. Now, y'all. It, at whatever phase in marriage that you lose your wedding ring, it's not a good situation. But I'm only like five, five months into this jam, right? And not only am I new to being married, I'm still getting adjusted to being on the staff. So I didn't want like my staff members thinking I'm trying to be like Shady McGurdy over here, trying to hide my ring so I can go to the Baja Beach Club on the weekend. And so I start going through everything, and I start thinking through, okay, Trace my stash, where did I go? Okay, uh, I was playing, you know, with the youth group kids at the Papa Shot thing. So I start going in the youth room, and I tear everything apart. I, I disconnect the little uh, curtain or the little slide on the Papa Shot. I'm looking through everything. I look throughout all the church. I'm looking in every seat. I'm looking in the, you know, this was one of those, like, they had one of those mega consoles for, like, the sound system. If you've ever served in a production team, you know there's a lot of things under that console that just kind of get tucked under there and cords. It is like a lot. You might find a goat under those things. And I'm just searching through it, searching through it. I go home to our little two-bedroom apartment, and I'm going through every nook and cranny, and I can't find it. And I am just freaking out because here I'm going to have to tell and explain to my wife why I don't have my wedding ring on. Now, thankfully, Sunday came, and I tossed one of my shirts in the dryer real quick to get the, the wrinkles out. And as it started turning, I started hearing the clink. And joy came into my soul. <laughs> it was like Pentecost in my laundry room. As I started shouting, I got that ring out, I put it on. Now, you know, since the years have changed and I've had a few more meals, I don't have that problem anymore. But I was so happy when I found that ring. Why? I mean, this, I remember when we bought those rings and I got the rings in the mail and I was looking at them and thinking, especially with Kelly's engagement ring, that was the biggest amount I'd ever saved money for. 
I remember I would take my little light on my phone and shine it on the diamond and it would light up the room because it was just, it was a big deal. It's a big deal. I was, I was like, I remember talking to one of my roommates and negotiating like what I would or would not pay for rent the next couple months so I could get this ring. It was valuable. And not only did it have a monetary value, but this thing was symbolic, symbolic of a greater covenant. It was my relationship with her and I, I had to have it. When we think about God's perspective of us, it's important for us to know something. We are worth a lot to God. You have been given great value to him. You were not just designed in his image, but God bestowed upon us this incredible honor, not just to look like him, but to be co-creators in the earth. As stewards in the world he created, that wherever we would go, creation would behold us and be reminded of him. We have been given a glory not even the angels have. On your most frustrating day, you know, like, there's times when you walk, wake up and you get ready and you get ready to walk out and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I look good today. <laughs> right? You're kind of feeling yourself. Take a nice little selfie, post it. Good caption, good hashtag, nice filter. Even though you try to say there's no filter, we know. <laughs> we know. All right? And, and you, just fit, you just feel good. Feel good, looking good, feel... And then there's other days where you're like, I will not leave the house today. You're going to wear them sweats. You might have a tie in your hair. It's not going to have any shape. And then you contemplate, should I even brush my teeth today? Should I? I'm not going to talk to people. I'm not talking to people. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you just have days where you just don't feel that great. On your worst day, your worst hair day, your funkiest breath day, the day when you just feel like I am not winning in life, you still bear the image of the Almighty God on your worst day. We represent a covenant that he made with creation. And so when we look at people, whether it be people around us that we know or people that we don't know, when we think of the fact that God valued us so much, we can't just look at the way we value, we have to look at how he values. And he valued humanity so much that when our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed and broke fellowship, when they allowed themselves to be deceived and then made a choice to disobey and abandon the covenant that God had made with them. God did not treat them like a Lego. He didn't treat them like loose change in our pockets. He didn't just shrug his shoulders and it's your own fault. We see how much he valued us by the pursuit. Even in the garden, he didn't just come and chastise them. He came and pursued them. I love that in Genesis 3, it shows us that they didn't go looking for God. 
When you look at your Bible yourself, and I hope you do, look at the account in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve have walked away from God. They've disobeyed God. They've, ab- they've abdicated their calling to steward the earth. They go hiding, but God pursues. He didn't pursue to shame them. He didn't pursue to condemn them. He actually came and he would make coverings suitable for them. We recognize it in this first encounter where God takes from the skins of animals and he makes coverings for them. And there was a shedding of blood. It's a picture of the first sacrifice for the atonement of sin and a foreshadowing of his ultimate plan was that he valued humanity so much. The Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. He values people as his covenant children. God desires that we would value people the way he does. Y'all hear me this morning. You know, sometimes, you know, we tend to value the people that are like the closest to us, right? Usually, in most situations, though I know it's not always the case, you value your spouse or you value the children that you brought into this world. Maybe you value your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your extended family. Maybe you value some of your church community. But what we see here is Jesus is communicating to Pharisees and scribes a love and a passion and a zeal to pursue people who are probably not considered very lovable. People who are outside of your normal sphere of comfort. And he is helping you understand that just because you lose a thing doesn't mean it's lost its value. Just because something is lost doesn't mean its value has been diminished. I can't help but think, you know, as I was getting ready for my message this morning and talking to a guy as I was getting some coffee at Starbucks and we were just talking about these two shootings that took place yesterday. One in El Paso, 20 people killed. Later, one in Dayton where at least nine people have been killed, lives lost. Can I tell you, even if something is lost, it hasn't lost its value. Those family members, those friends, there's a great value in those lives. I, I was kind of stirred, in, in, especially in light of thinking about God's appraisal of people and life, and I saw that there had been 252 mass shootings in the United States in 2019 so far. And so I proceeded to look up a listing of all 252. And as I just began to look at line by line by line by line, my heart just began to break. 
Not just at the fact of, not in some, you know, pseudo-emotional stance about guns and politicizing, but thinking about the value and the appraisal of these precious lives that for stupid stuff were extinguished. Looking at line by gang violence, gang-related matters, Seeing some of the reasons listed was there was a fight at a party that escalated. And that, that was a reason for lives to be extinguished. Some that were clearly affected by mental health, depression. And then I was thinking about these and reading these. It was like the Holy Spirit allowed me to just feel a little bit of the ache of God's heart. I want us to be aware of this, that there's only one who was meant to carry the weight of brokenness and sin in the earth. His name is Jesus. There's only one that can can handle the full weight of all the brokenness, of all the hatred, of all the violence, and yet I believe that at times God will allow us to feel a little thimbleful of his ache so that we can begin to have a glimpse of how valuable people are to him. Now, I can look in the news, but I don't even have to look beyond this room. I know there's people in this room who have been affected by the brokenness of this world, by gun violence. Even beyond maybe the immediate loss of life as a result of violence, there are people, you, many of us even in here that you may be found in church on Sunday, but you've never been more lost. I think of myself at times growing up and the fact that I was in church and I knew God, I knew of God, and yet there were still seasons where I needed a Savior who would come and find me, who would come and pursue me. I think of the song that says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm, I'm found. But I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was lost, but now I'm found. But I'm thankful that today I can be found covered in the blood of Jesus. I can be found in him. But can I be honest with you for a second and say when he found me, it wasn't pretty. If you're honest with yourself, you know that when he finds you, it's usually not where you want anybody else to find you. If we were really acknowledging the reality of where he finds us, he doesn't usually find us living our best life. 
He finds us in a pit. He finds us in filthy rags, covered in the open sores of sin with layers of scar tissue from self-inflicted wounds. He will find us often with eyes sunken in and dilated from the constant ingestion of painkillers, trying to numb ourselves from the reality of our circumstances. He finds us with eyes that have been in darkness for so long that we have adjusted and just assumed that this is how it's going to be. He finds us with arms that are emaciated and marked with the tracks of having a constant IV of shame and condemnation flowing through our veins that never came from him, but over time convinces us that he's never coming for us. Because why would he? Why would he? I've messed up so many times. Why would he want me? Why would he trust me? He finds us in our self-importance. He finds us shuffling through our collection of masks and disguises, each one perfectly curated to get from one shallow interaction to the next. What can I put on for church? Oh, this one, this one matches my insecurity. This one matches my fear. This one matches my, my bitterness. What can I put on to get through work? If I could just make it through this next period. I'll tell you, he found me when I was 19 years old, near 56 in Franklin, on a used couch in an apartment of a guy I barely knew, reeking of alcohol, in some ways completely high as a kite and in my lowest of lows. And he didn't wait for me to get cleaned up and take a shower and get everything worked out. He came and he knelt down to me in my nastiness and began to remind me of what he called me to be. I remember laying on this couch. It's a friend of mine's party. Living a double life. And even as he was whispering and speaking to me about the value and the, the love that he had for me. I was so broken and so lost, all I could think of is, Lord, just please don't let my mom and daddy find me here. <laughs> let me just get up so I can go get a shower again. And yet, he kept pursuing. Why? Because he valued me. He, he found me hiding behind Christian conference t-shirts. He found me hiding behind an anointing. Some of you need to know that you think you've been hiding behind an anointing because God has continued to use you to have an impact. You think he's excusing your lifestyle? I'd just like to remind you, God will use donkeys to speak to those whom he loves. But he wants you to come out of hiding. Don't hide behind that anointing. It's one of the scariest things. But he finds us in those places. He finds us. I tell you, he finds you. Some of you, he's found you this morning. 
and you're trying your best because you should know better to hide that lacerated heart that's feeling the conviction of sin for the first time in a while. Not because you haven't been around it, but because you've grown numb to it. Because what would they know if I responded? What would they think if I responded? Some of you are hiding in fear. Not in the fear of the typical fear of, you know, something stalking you or what would come. You're hiding, terrified that God actually is coming after you. Partially, you're terrified because you have this thing in your brain and that enemy puts in all of our brains, convincing us that because of what we've done, because of what we did, because of what happened to you 25 years ago, that if you actually get found out that God is going to come chasing you down like that bully looking for you in high school, like that person is like, where are they? Once I find them, ooh, I'm going to whoop their behind. And so you're terrified of what will happen. But can I tell you what will happen? When God finds us, he comes with compassion. I'm thankful that he came with redemption in mind. He came not to tell me what I wasn't. He came to tell me what I was. Can I tell you who the sun sets free? He is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm a child of the King. Yes, I am. He reminds us of our purpose and our destiny and our calling. He reminds us of his faithfulness. You know, the thing that's kind of awkward at times about God's faithfulness to pursue us is that when we recognize his faithfulness to pursue, we kind of have to admit our lack of faithfulness and our propensity to act foolish. Y'all hear me? It's kind of like, oh, you're so faithful because I'm a hot mess. <laughs> but I'm thankful that he's faithful. I am. I am. And don't you know, because we're human, you're going to make another mistake, Josh. You're going to make another mistake, Tyler. You're going to make another mistake, Lauren. And you know that he's not just going to shrug it off and abandon you. Do you know that this morning? And so this is my charge to those who have been redeemed. I have two charges. My first is to those who call themselves sons and daughters of the living God. Is you've got to remember and be reminded of how much God pursued you. And what a hot mess you were. I'm not trying to like throw people in the trash, but sometimes, you know, we only praise God Starbucks gift card much. As opposed to, you actually saved my life. Right? We interact with God or we think that, man, you know, I wasn't that bad you know what, I wasn't that bad. Like I was living kind of like a B-plus life, but God got me that A. <laughs> right, we think he just gave us a little boost. It's like when you go to the gas station, you're getting to fill up, and you're like, oh, I could get a little octane boost. You put a little octane boost, it makes you help, help you a little bit more fuel efficient. I was living an okay life, but God made me a little bit more efficient. Bless him. <laughs> no. We were dead in our transgressions. 
We were dead in our sin without hope. But God, but God, we want to be reminded of it. And why does that, why does that change things? Because I believe that when we will acknowledge and be reminded of God's appraisal for life, God's appraisal and his value on humanity, God's appraisal and his pursuit of us, he should not have to beg us to pursue the lost. Why? Because we are pursuing those who are in darkness. We're pursuing those who are hurt and broken and lonely and destitute. We are pursuing those who have not been restored to the king, not out of some sense of just duty and religious fervor and this is the once-of-year urban outreach we're going to do this weekend, folks. Get ready. Lock your doors. Some of y'all for a second just thought, did we lock our doors? Right? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to the meadows in a minute. <clears throat> but we, we, we get in this mindset where it's just this religious thing that we do ever so often, rather than saying, no, 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 God, I want to be reminded of your faithfulness. I want to be filled with your love. I want to be ignited with your passion and your heart for this community so that I can go out and be fueled in such a way that I'm going to not just go and give a cursory search. You know, the people that frustrate you when you ask, you know who to ask to look for something and who not to ask to look for something. Why? Because some people were going to search till they find it. Some people be like, hey, man, I lost my keys. Can you help me? Yeah, they're going to go like this. Watch. Because some of y'all do this. Y'all need to work on this. You walk into a room and go, don't see it. <laughs> Guess it's lost. That's not diligent. That's not diligent. You know, when we talk, we think about seeking and reaching out to, to friends and to co-workers. Some of you, you just completely write off your staff because one time you invited them to an event at church and they already had a previous encounter, a previously scheduled event and they couldn't come. And so whenever you think about inviting them again, you're like, well, man, they're just opposed to the Lord. I just don't even know. I invited them once and they rejected my invitation. You know, it's like if you've ever, like, tried to go, like, on a missions trip. We went on a missions trip uh, to Baja, Mexico one time, and uh, Mabel was there with me. And we were going door to door to invite people to come to this outreach. And you know, it's like, especially if, if your nerves, you got your nerves there, and you're trying to go door to door. We've even gone door to door around here. It's like there's a part of you that you want to talk to people, but you just kind of knock on that door, and you're like, oh, nobody's here. Okay, let's go. <laughs> And they were showing us how to do it in Baja. And I mean, they are banging these doors down. Mabel, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, ba 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 Hola! Hola! I mean, you call it. Why? Because we're pursuing diligently until they're found. I dare you to make a note card of three people in your family or in your circle of influence who don't know Jesus yet, but you say, God, I'm going to diligently pray over them. And I'm going to pray over them whether they come to my church or not. Some are going to seed. Some are going to plant the seed. Some are going to water the seed. God's going to bring the increase. But will you diligently search until it's found. I have a couple points. I'll give them to you real quick. I've already been talking about them, so don't be scared. You can get home in time for lunch. 
But when I look at these two things, there's two things that stand out of my mind this woman did. She lost one of 10 coins. It's the equivalent of a day's wage. Some of you, that might not be a big deal. Some of y'all, y'all know. And it says she lit a lamp. It says, who would not light a lamp and then sweep the whole house to diligently find it? I love the word until. Say until. Until it was found. She searched until it was found. It's two things. If we're going to embrace this heart of God, we got to light the lamp. What does light the lamp mean? As Trish was saying, we at City of Lights are called to connect people, ignite a city, and light the world for the glory of God. And when we talk about that ignite peace, what it means is it's not enough to have a lamp in a space or in a room. If it's going to be effective, if it's going to be what it's called to be, at some point you've got to flip the switch and ignite the power in it. It's not enough for you to just inhabit a location. The Spirit of God needs to be awakened and alive on the inside of you. Thank you. Three people excited about that ignite. It's not enough for you to just, some of you have been around church for a long time, but you're still dead. We've got to light the lamp. What does that mean? That's we, one of the ways we light the lamp is we spend time in fellowship with God. We spend time in worship. We spend time in his word. We understand what he's passionate about and how he loves people and the intensity that he loves people. Not just your friends, but your enemies. When you start being ignited by his passion, he's going to start asking you to pray for people you don't like. Ah! He's going to ask you to pray for the very family member you try to avoid at family reunions. The very one you've already plotted, you plot your course out the whole time. You're like, okay, if I can get, okay, I think I can get to the fried fish. If I take this route, I won't have to talk to so-and-so. That's the person that God goes after. He, he, he wants you to go and pray for the person at work that don't like you. Not just, it's one thing if you don't like them, but they don't know about it. But they don't like you, and you know. And that's the person God says, them. Somebody else, Lord. Somebody else. That's not, that is not your will, Lord. You know there's somebody that experienced this situation in Scripture. His name is Jonah. God was like, huh. You know that barbarous people? that have slaughtered and destroyed, completely like mangled folks up, done horrible things. Yes, Lord, they're disgusting. I will pray a smiting prayer against them, God. I smite them, destroy them, wipe them out. He said, no, no, no. I want you to go tell them I'm a merciful God. Call them to repent. Surely this is not you. Get behind me, Satan. Right? There's opposition. We're like, that's not Jesus. That's some cheese I had last night, late, late into the night. No, 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 no. He tried to avoid it. Man, God loves, remember, he values folks. He valued them so much that when Jodah went this way, he said, man, I know you don't want to go, but I love them, so I'm going to send you a ride back. 
a fishy situation. <laughs> he loves people. He loves people. We got to light the lamp. We want to be alive, alive. And then we got to seek diligently. I want you to know you are valuable to him. You are valuable to him. He loves you dearly, Monica. He gave his very best for you. He spared no expense. Dirk, he loves you passionately. And he didn't just pursue you however many years ago. He pursues you today. He's still drawing close when we're hiding. Hiding in our self-righteousness. Hiding in the glow of our iPads that got things on them that they shouldn't. He's not coming to wave his finger in condemnation. He's saying, put that down. Look at me. Let me tell you about yourself. Mighty man of God. Mighty woman of valor. Man, I got great plans for you. I haven't given up on you. I'll never give up on you. I have not abandoned you. That thing that the enemy told you you were, that is not who you are. And I don't care what generational curse you think you've been under, you're under my blood. You have a new nature. You're not a slave to that sin. I've got grace for that. What he is calling us to when he finds us in that hiding place is to stop, to turn. To receive. You say, man, I, I can't. What do you mean stop? I've been trying to. There's grace to stop. There's grace. And we're going to have to visit that power constantly. It doesn't mean it didn't work. And it means that he's at work in us. You've got to turn. You've got to. When it talks about repenting and a celebration that comes from those who repent, it's a Greek word, the Greek word metanoia, which means it's a changing. It's a complete changing of my mind and my behavior and my direction. And if you are here and sometimes you feel sorry for where you're at and you feel sorry for what you've done, but if you don't change your direction, nothing will change. There's grace to turn this morning. He said, well, once you turn, okay, what's that? Well, you've got to receive. You've got to receive his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. But, you know, you can't receive something unless you let go of the things that you've been carrying. In order for you to receive his affection and his love, you got to let go of that bitterness, that unforgiveness. You got to let go of that addiction. For some of you, you literally have to let go of a relationship that's been completely toxic. You've got to let go of the idols that you've been collecting to help soothe you at night because of this brokenness. You've got to let them go at the foot of the cross, at the altar, whatever 
way you want to picture it, but we got to release it to him so then our hands are free to receive his goodness and his mercy and his love. So in closing, if you're in here this morning and this is not a, it's not an accusation, again, recognizing or acknowledging when something is lost, it doesn't mean it's lost its value. But you say, I know that I am not connected to this God. I know that I am desperate for a Savior. I know that I have been far from him. But if he truly loves me like you say he does, I want to give him my life. I want to pray for you. Everyone bow your head, close your eyes. God is here this morning. Some of you that are listening and you hear that call, you actually know the reason that you're here is because he found you. I think there's probably a couple people that you really didn't want to come here this morning. And it wasn't that you didn't want to come. You actually have been desperate and hungry and looking and hoping for a way out of this pit and this room of darkness. But every demon in hell that's kept you captive is terrified that you actually going to get free today. Kayla, won't you go ahead and come up? If you're here and you say, I want to know this Jesus, I want to receive him as my restorer, as my savior and king, I want to tell you that God so loved you that he came in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life that not a one of us could. He died the death that we should have died, that we all deserved, and he died it in our place. Satisfying the debt of our sin and our brokenness. He was crucified and made a curse for us. But three days later, he rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, proving that he was the Son of God and offering forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who would receive and believe. If you say this morning, this is the day that I want to come home. This is the day I want to surrender my life fully to Jesus as my rescuer and as my king. I don't want to keep holding on to this baggage. I don't want to continue in this cycle of death. I want to walk in fullness of life. If that's you this morning, right where you are, just lift your hand. Bless you, bless you, sister. Just lift your hand right where you are. Say, I want to receive him fully. Amen. Bless you. Go ahead and put your hand down. Go ahead and put your hand down. Yeah. Father, I thank you for these, your children, who have responded to you, God. 
who have humbly come before you and said, I'm desperate and I need this, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you find them full of mercy, that you find them with a heart, that your heart is full of mercy and love, and you are fully powerful to save and rescue. Lord, I thank you that they're here because you've drawn them here. You've placed them right where you want them to meet you. For those of you who raise your hand after the service, just keep your heads bowed right now. But after the service, I want to ask you to come to City Central where someone can pray with you and help you to take your next step on your journey with him. Can we just praise God right now? Just praise God for those who responded. Now, here's, I'm not finished because I, I, this is what I want to pray. Is for those who are sons and daughters of this Jesus, you've come to know him. He has redeemed you. He has restored you. And you know that in your mind. But yet you know that maybe this pursuit of the lost has not been something that has been ignited in you. That you say, God, I want, I want your passion for the lost in me. God, I want you to use me to make an impact in this city. God, I want you to trust us with the lost. If that's your prayer this morning, would you lift your hand? I'm actually going to say, if that's your prayer this morning, just go ahead and stand to your feet and lift your hands to the sky. See, when we lift our hands, the lifting of the hands is a universal sign of surrender. And so as we lift our hands, we are acknowledging that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. That we are desperate and in need of King Jesus to fill us. And so God, we call out to you. And we thank you that you have first loved us. We thank you that you pursued us with great fervence and diligence. Lord, we thank you that you pursued us with great affection and love and intentionality and intensity. And God, I ask that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation and that you would fill us with your love and that you would fill us with your passion and that you would fill us with your zeal. Lord, I pray that it would bother us to see the brokenness. But Lord, it wouldn't just bother us in a sense of, of just like the Pharisees where they shook their fingers or they looked down their noses at the destitute of the broken. God, I pray that it would bother us to a place of action. God, that it would stir our hearts where we can't just go to bed and we can't just go on with life as normal. We can't just go on with our routine without responding with love and light, without responding and releasing grace. God, I pray that you would empower every person that's standing up. Lord, I pray that you would place specific people, not just general people, specific people on their hearts this week, Lord God. Lord, I, I dare you, I dare you right now. Every person that's standing up, I dare you this morning, this afternoon, I want you to go home. I want you to write on a three-by-five card the name of three people that God's giving you an assignment to pursue. And I'm telling you right now, if you dare to ask him, he's going to give them to you. He's going to give them to you. Whether you put it on a three-by-five card, you put it a note on your phone to keep it with you, I dare you 
to write it down. I dare you to ask the Holy Spirit to let you partner with him and see if change doesn't happen. Lord, help us, God. Lord, help us to seek until they are found. And Lord, I pray that as they are found, Lord, I pray, Jesus, with our hands lifted up. And I'm just going to ask every person, every person who calls City of Lights home, stand to your feet. Every person that calls City of Lights home, stand to your feet and lift your hands. This is my prayer. God, would you trust us? Lord, would you find us as a people that you trust, that you know that you can trust us with those whom you care for deeply? That you would trust us with the broken. That you would trust us to bring love and kindness. Lord, that you would trust us. Lord, that in moments of great brokenness and moments of mass shootings and moments of systematic oppression, Lord, in moments of all kinds of dysfunction that you would know that in the city of Indianapolis there is a people who are surrendered and crying out to say, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Light the fire in us, God. And Lord, may you be glorified in our living, in our loving, in our serving, in our pursuit. We thank you and we praise you. Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give him praise, y'all? Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.